was back visiting and fellowshipping and laughing with some folks and totally forgot I needed a microphone to preach. So I uh, needed a little extra time to mic up this morning. Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Heights. We are so glad you're here. Glad to be in the Word. Excited about looking at the Lord's Prayer today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. That's what we're going to focus on, but I'm going to start reading in, in verse 5. I want to, I'm not stepping on Chris's toes. We're, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer, but we want to see the Lord's Prayer in context of what Jesus was teaching about prayer as he uh, did in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. We'll start with verse 5. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. We are going to have it on the screen, and you can follow along there. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and, in, and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for their Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we do come to you right now thanking you. Uh, praising your name, asking it to be holy upon our lips as we say it. We ask for your will to be done in this time of service, that we ask that, that you would be glorified and that you would be honored. We pray, Lord, that as we enter into this time of, of worship through the hearing and the reading and the proclaiming and the response to your scripture, that you would lead us away from sin in our lives, lead us closer to you, teach us to walk in your ways. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Now, some of you, if you're at home or if you're here and you've got a, an older translation, maybe you've, you love your, your beloved KJV, you notice that at verse 13, there's a little tack on that says, and thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is a great little chunk. And the reason why you won't see it in maybe some modern translations, just so you are aware, is that it doesn't show up in the earliest of the early Greek manuscripts that we think, as best we can do scholarly-wise, is that uh, as a scribe was writing out this prayer, he got so excited, maybe, that he added on that little prayer himself to the end just because he was excited, or he just it was there. The beautiful thing about that is, is it doesn't detract from what Jesus is teaching us and how to pray at all, and it's in line with everything else in Scripture because we know that it is God's kingdom, and it is His power and His glory, and we do want that to be magnified as well. So if you're curious, there you go. 
And it's one of those interesting things, too, because we're, we're preaching through some of these most well-known and incredibly familiar passages in preaching. This is one of those passages that even non-Christians are, are, are somewhat familiar with, and it's something that they think they know. Uh, Chris was telling me a story. We, we were not fans of the West Wing, but he said they're re-watching the West Wing in their house, and, and President Bartlett is visiting, uh, I, I would guess, Walter Reed Military Hospital, and a soldier who is injured asks President Bartlett in the West Wing if he could, you know... President Bartlett's there, and they're talking, and he says, well, son, is there, is there anything I can do for you? And the soldier says, pray for me, Mr. President. And Bartlett, in his, uh, sitting there with the soldier, starts out, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like, he starts into the Lord's Prayer, because it's kind of maybe the only prayer he knows, unfortunately. And he doesn't understand what's, what's taking place here, right? This is one of those their people are familiar with it, but, but what they're missing out is, is Jesus is teaching those listening here as he's talking about. It. He's talking about them not being hypocritical and how they live out their piety in their lives, but he's, he's teaching them how to pray, right? Prayer is this important part of the daily lives of, of Jews in Jesus' time, and it should be a, an important part of our daily lives in our time. And he's trying to teach us that, that, that the Jews had these very set times of prayer. When we think of of calls to prayer now we often think of of muslim countries and and singers coming out to the minarets and and you hear the call to prayer and everybody stops what they're doing and and everybody gets down on their hands and knees and they face mecca and pray well the jews had times of day during their life that they would just stop and they would pray they would face towards jerusalem or if they were in jerusalem they would face toward the temple and they would pray it wasn't quite like what we think of now when we think of like what the muslims do but it was this practice of daily prayer and, and prayer happening several times during the day, set specific times. What Jesus is doing here is in, in verses specifically, five up until we get to nine, five through eight, he's condemning these folks who would come out and they would make these real showy, pretentious, self-centered prayers. Now, he's not condemning public prayer per se. He's condemning prayer that has selfish motivations and draws people to look at the one praying, right? That, that it draws people to look at the one praying rather than drawing people to, to the one to whom we should pray. And that's a distinction he's wanting to make. And this is a teaching prayer. This is an example. In, in Luke 11, 1, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples. And Jesus simply answers them in Luke 11, 1, saying this. He says, well, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. It's a shortened version of what we see here in Matthew. Kind of an abbreviated version of this prayer. It's, it's a model prayer for us. And, and I and, and it's a perfectly fine prayer to recite. It's a perfectly fine prayer to pray. There's nothing wrong with it. We should look at it, though, as an outline for our own prayers. And we should look at it as an outline for our own prayers during our personal and private prayer times. It's, you know, we sometimes hate to talk about the word being formulaic or, or things being a formula. But here we do see a, a formula for what our daily devotional prayer should look like. It's a pattern to follow. 
And the thing that we see right off the bat is that all of our prayers should be directed to God our Father. Now we think that's, that's kind of a, an easy no-brainer, right? Our prayers should be directed to God the Father, but they should focus on His concerns. Sometimes our prayers are directed to God, but they're focused on our concerns. And our prayers should be focused on His concerns and be filled with the needs that He can supply. So when we start to pray, we start with God, our Heavenly Father, and we seek to honor His name. We seek His kingdom. We seek His will. And when we pray, we are to share the concerns of our hearts with God, our Heavenly Father, right? We're we're to take that time to do that. And we're to ask for our daily needs to be met. And we're to ask God to forgive us as we forgive others. And we're to ask God to deliver us from evil. We have this beautiful model prayer from our model teacher, Jesus. See, Jesus gives his disciples then and today, he gives us this example to follow when we're praying. And the first part of the prayer, focus on the preeminence of God. That as we take time, we look at this, it's kind of in in two chunks with three different little asks. Make sure I'm saying that word right. The the, the three little requests or three little... um, Three asks that he's asking us there. That, that there's, there's three things that we do in each little chunk. The first one, we're looking at the preeminence of God. And then the second part is when we can focus on our personal needs within this community, uh, within the community context. And we look at verse 9 and it says, then pray, like, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. And so when you, when you start prayer, you start to pray, you pray to your heavenly Father. Right? And I want us to think about this. It's an immense privilege that we have to approach the creator of the universe in prayer. We can go directly to our God in prayer. And our God is not just a God. Right? This, is, this is unique to, 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 to us as, as, as this. When we think about the pagan gods out there in the world, most of the folks who worship these pagan gods can't go directly to that even pagan God that we know is fake and non-existent. They have to go through a priest or some mediator or a shaman or whatever. We can go straight to God in prayer. God, the creator of all the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who breathed life into man, and we can go directly to him in prayer. That is an immense privilege. And because it's such an immense privilege and and we think about who God is, it is really important how we begin our prayers. It's not something that when we enter into a time of prayer, we should take lightly or we should do flippantly. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. And he uses that Aramaic word, Abba, for Father there. We translate that back out, Father. Aramaic word, it was, was Abba. And this is an everyday word, that children of his time and culture used for their earthly fathers. Don't confuse it with the word daddy, because it's not the same, right? The word Abba here, though, lets us know, lets you and I know that we can approach God, the creator of the universe, like his child, and that God loves his children in this very familiar and familial way. When Jesus is using Abba, it reminds us that, that God has all the authority, but he also has all the intimacy and warmth of a loving father's care. But what Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, our father in heaven, 
And adding in of in heaven reminds us of who God is, that he is sovereign above all things and he rules all things. And we, as we reverently call out to God in prayer, we, we see that Jesus models these three petitions, these, these things that we can ask for as we start to pray, that help us focus ourselves on God as we pray. The first thing we do is we, we pray that God's name be honored. Hallowed be your name. The Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, translates verse 9 like this, and it reads like this, and I, I like it. It says, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Jesus is teaching his disciples then and and teaching us now that God is to be treated with, with the highest honor, the utmost respect, and he is to be set apart as holy. So in our prayers, we, we begin by saying to God that we value you, and we value your name, and we value your name as holy. We see you, God, as unique. We see you, God, as pure. We see you, God, as righteous. We acknowledge you, O oh God, as omnipotent. We acknowledge you, O oh God, as omniscient. We acknowledge you, O oh God, as omnipresent. You are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. You are ever-present. We say to God, when we open up a prayer like this, you are the greatest treasure I could ever desire. You are above all other things. Nothing compares to you, O Lord, my Father in heaven. And that focuses there, honoring our God. And then we pray for his kingdom to come. Verse 10. In that first part, your kingdom come. This is, this is that second petition to focus us on God, that second ask we have of him. Right? We as Christians, we are called to pray for the continual advancement of the kingdom of God here on earth. That's our mission. That's who, who God has chosen us out of all the people in the world to do. We are to continue his advancement of the kingdom. And the presence of God's kingdom here and now refers to the reign of Jesus Christ in our hearts. It refers to the reign of Jesus Christ in our lives for everyone who believes in Jesus. It's about the presence of Christ globally in his church. It's a call to God asking that as followers of Jesus, we are increasingly reflecting his love, that we are increasingly reflecting his obedience, and we're being increasingly obedient to his laws, that we are increasingly honoring him and honoring his name, that we are increasingly doing good for all people, for his namesake and for his glory, and that we are increasingly proclaiming the good news of Jesus, our Messiah, to a lost and dying world who needs to hear of the great salvation he brings. When we're praying, your kingdom come, we're praying all of those things. And when we think about it, how, how naturally that flows from that first petition. May we honor your name, O God, because you are the king of our lives. May your kingdom advance and live forever. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying We're praying with a missionary impulse in us, right? We're saying to God, I want God's kingdom here on earth, and I want it here and now, right? I 
I want God to reign and rule over all aspects of my life. I want to celebrate my king. I long to see the days when when my king's glorious name is, is honored and revered by all the nations and throughout all the universe. Your kingdom come. That's what that prayer kind of means. And that, that second petition then leads us very easily into that third petition. It leads us to pray for the Lord's will to be done, right? Second part of verse 10, your will be done. It's so marvelous. I, it's just, Jesus is a wordsmith. We never talk about Jesus as a wordsmith, but he is. It's so marvelous to see how Jesus crafted this model prayer. Our first petition is to honor God's name, which leads us to that second petition, which is desiring his kingdom, which leads us to this third petition, which is desiring his will above our own. When we desire God's kingdom on earth, we desire his rule and reign. If we really, truly desire his rule and reign, we have to see that it is accomplished from his will being done. Praying your will be done is asking that God's will be completed in my life. Praying your will be done is asking that God's will be done worldwide and among all the nations. J.I. Packer in his book Praying uh, says this about this particular verse. He says, Here, more clearly than anywhere, the purpose of prayer becomes plain. Not to make God do my will, but to bring my will into line with his. Church, too often, when we go into a time of prayer, we're wanting God to do our will. Be cautious of that. God is not a coin-operated machine who gives us things. He's not a vending machine. Do not treat our God that way. The purpose of prayer becomes plain. Not to make God do my will, but to bring my will into line with His. I said earlier that this was a this prayer that Jesus gives us is a model prayer, right? It's an, it's an exemplar. It's an idea. It's kind of a teaching outline, right? But it's a model prayer from our model teacher in Jesus, right? And, and, and we can see that Jesus is, is modeling this idea of your will be done in prayer. If we were to jump to Matthew chapter 26, we're going to see Jesus modeling your will be done in prayer for us. Matthew chapter 26 is that long, long Thursday night before the crucifixion. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's coming. He knows the agony he is about to face. Yet in verse 39 of Matthew 26, he says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as you will. Jesus gets up from that prayer and he goes around and he checks on the, on the disciples and they're all asleep and he's clearly frustrated asking them to stay awake and pray and he goes back to pray and he says, my father, in verse 42, Jesus prays out again, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, meaning the wrath of God poured out 
for our sake. If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus gets up and wanders around the garden again to check on the apostles. They're all still asleep. He comes back and it's just recorded that in verse 44 that Jesus said, He went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same thing. Three times Jesus prayed, Your will be done if it means taking my life for the sake of these sinners who rebel against you. I'd rather not as a human in human flesh do this. But your will be done more than mine. He sets the example for us there. See, we we really find it difficult to pray for God's will above our own because we know that it may cause us to lose some of the comforts that we have. We find it difficult to pray for God's will above our own because we may hear him calling us through his word to give up something we hold dear. We find it difficult to pray for God's will to be done above our own because we wrongly think we know how to live our lives better than God knows how we should live our lives. Yet we see Jesus here on the night before he was crucified knowing he was about to drink from the cup of God's wrath, praying for God the Father's will to be done over Jesus' human desire to not go through what had to be done. There's a lesson here. When we go to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's a dangerous prayer. The will of God is not always easy. And the will of God is not always safe. But we are taught in Romans 12 too, that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. When praying this way, when we, we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray this way. We're praying for our will our sinful will, our our earthly will. We're praying for it to die so that Jesus and his will may live in us. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a prayer of submission to a holy and just and good God. So when we think about this, Praying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Teaches us to start our prayers with our heavenly Father. It teaches us to pray for his name to be honored in our lives. It teaches us to seek his kingdom and desire it in our lives on earth. And it teaches us that his sovereign will is more important than our will. We focus our prayer on him and we focus our prayer on his preeminence. And then, once we've done that, then we can share our concerns with him. We go into the next part where Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. We can ask our sovereign Lord for our daily needs. That is such an amazing thing. Again, the fact that we can approach God, the creator of the universe, in prayer, and he wants us to, 
And then he says, not only do I want you to approach me in prayer, I want you to bring me your daily needs. I want you to bring me your concerns. What are these concerns you have? And we can go to him and ask him for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. It's another reminder to us that our God is sovereign. Daily bread. I love this, that, it, that Jesus is, is taking us back a little bit and he's reminding us about Exodus and the manna given to the Israelites in Exodus 16 that, that God provided for them. They were, they were told only to take what they needed for that day and no more. And the next day would come and God would provide for them again. Daily provision. See, we, we live in a society that views this kind of sustenance living as, as subpar and, and undesirable. Yet God called on his people to live just this way as they went through the wilderness. right? Because it teaches them to be looking to him for their needs. It teaches them to, to seek him out above all else. See, our society sees self-sufficiency as this long-sought-after and desired virtue. But when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're asking God to break us of our own self-sufficiency and to create in us a Christ-sufficiency. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it should really mean that, that, that we are saying... We believe what Paul wrote in Philippians 4.19 when he said, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, we live in a, in a modern society that has abundance. It's weird to think about that because there are people all over the world who, who don't have the abundances that we have. But we live in a, in a society of abundance. We're, we're moving. And the amount of stuff we have is abundant and it's ridiculous and i don't i'm just like embarrassed to even admit some of it but in that society we, we have to be kind of careful to remember the words of james that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change that, that in our abundance, we need to be cautious to, to not forget that everything that we've been given, even in abundance, has been given to us through God, by God, and for His glory and for His purposes. And when we seek out to pray, give us this day our daily bread, it should remind us of that. This prayer is also, when we say, give us this day our daily bread, it's a reminder of our eternal needs. Because Jesus is the bread of life, and we see that in John 635. And it's in him, right? It's in Jesus that our hunger and our thirst are really, truly, fully satiated, right? It's in his death and his resurrection that our daily need to be rescued from sin and death is finally satisfied. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we may be asking for our self-sufficiency to die, Right? We're asking for our self-sufficiency to die and to be replaced with Christ's sufficiency. May we be reminded that, that everyone who comes to Christ through the gospel has their eternal needs satisfied. Let us never pray, give us this day our daily bread as, as some sort of empty rhetoric. Let it be a reminder that, that all we have is God's 
and that we're grateful for what He has given to us. So we can ask our God for for our daily needs, but we can also ask our sovereign Lord to forgive us as we forgive others and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now this isn't necessarily meaning that Christ followers need to seek justification from our sins every day, right? That once I have come to Christ, my sins are forgiven, right? That, that we have been justified once and forever when we come to salvation. But we're going to go on living on this earth, and we're still kind of sinful and trying to get rid of that. So when we pray, forgive us our debts, we're, we're asking for a restoration of personal fellowship because we're still fighting our sin nature. Right? So God is our Father, who, who, for all of us who are called to Christ, right? we are His children. And children will occasionally do something wrong. Can't believe that that would happen, right? Children would never do anything wrong. Well, all of us have worked with kids here. We know that that's true. It happens. Their earthly fathers wait for them to restore things with an I'm sorry a lot of times. When we pray and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, we're going much to God, our Heavenly Father, in the same way and saying, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me again? I like the way Paul David Tripp says it. Paul David Tripp is, is, is a pastor and a, and a, and a, and a professor, um, and he wrote in a book called Quest for More, he wrote this about praying, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. He said, when I live this lifestyle, I find joy in telling Jesus day after day that I need what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. This lifestyle is about growing to acknowledge that in some way, every day, I give evidence to the fact that the cross was necessary. And this lifestyle of forgiveness makes my daily attitude one of heartfelt gratitude and joy. See, praying, forgive us our debts, is a great reminder that in our justification, Jesus washed, past tense, Jesus washed away all our sins. And now in sanctification, Jesus is washing, present tense, Jesus is washing all our daily sins away so that we may become more and more like him. Now, we'd be remiss to ignore the second half of verse 12. As we also have forgiven our debtors, we who are in Christ have received much in the way of forgiveness. For the sin debt that we owed God, it was massive. And yet he forgave us all of that when we come to him. That, that forgiveness wasn't just like, okay, I forgive you. No, it was forgiveness that was lavished upon us, right? And that kind of forgiveness, knowing that it was lavished upon us, should inspire us to have gratitude toward God that creates an eagerness in us to forgive those who are debtors toward us. We are... In, we are to be wary to not become like the ungrateful servant in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, who refused to forgive a fellow servant of a minor debt when the king had forgiven a massive debt to him. 
This week, Bart Barber, um, president of the Southern Baptist Convention, posted a tweet about forgiveness that that there was a kind of an issue, a little bit of a a little bit of a blow up, I guess you could say, and and there was someone who had asked for forgiveness because of that, and it and it's going to affect a lot of things around the convention. And Bart said, as Christians, our duty is to look at you, brother, and say, yes, I forgive you. I thought, man, that's important for us to remember. Right? Because we need to remember that our debt before our great and glorious God was massive. And he graciously forgave that debt. And the debt others may owe us, any sin that has been inflicted upon us towards someone or from someone else is always going to be minuscule compared to the debt that God forgave when he forgave you and me of our sin. Verses 14 and 15 really drive this home. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. When I think about that, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as, Christ, as God and Christ forgave you, that concept of being kind, being tenderhearted, being forgiving to one another That should always be on our hearts. That should always be on our minds. It should always be on our lips when we are following Jesus. That should be on display. And and we can then see that when we ask him to forgive us and help us forgive others, we can ask our sovereign Lord to deliver us from evil. And lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. Now, upon casual reading of this verse, you might ask, if God doesn't tempt anyone, which we know he doesn't from what James has said in James 1.13, then why do we need to ask him to lead me not into temptation? This was a common phrase in many ancient Jewish prayers, that they would ask God to protect them from temptation. For Jesus and his disciples, a phrase like, and lead us not into temptation, would sound perfectly normal. The plea before God isn't, God, don't tempt me. The plea before God is, protect me from situations in which I might be tempted to sin. See, we're the sheep of his pasture. And when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we're asking the good shepherd to use his rod and his staff to keep us on the path he knows is best for us. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we are acknowledging that we are easily tempted and that we are prone to evil. We need God the Father's guidance. We need Jesus, the Savior's work, and we need the Holy Spirit's strength to gain victory over temptation and evil. With our Lord's guidance, or or, I'm sorry, without our Lord's guidance, we will fall into every trap and will fall into every snare that we see before us. I I like going back to that sheep analogy because sheep are dumb. And honestly, most of the time, so am I, right? 
As a follower of Christ, I'm dumb a lot. And, and I know if I'm saying I'm dumb a lot, a lot of you are probably going, yeah, you're right. But you're also probably thinking to yourself, well, so am I. Right? I've watched, I watched this guy trying to grab a sheep. This sheep was stuck in a drainage ditch. I don't know how a sheep got into a drainage culvert in the metal tube of the drainage culvert, but the sheep was in there. And the farmer and the, and the shepherd is yanking and pulling and yanking and pulling. He finally gets the sheep out. And the sheep jumps right up, immediately makes a U-turn, runs back around and gets himself stuck back in the exact same metal culvert. Church, if that doesn't describe us as people, I don't know what else does. We're curious enough to go looking into every little cubbyhole and peephole to look for sin. And not smart enough to keep it away. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're saying, God, we know we're not smart enough to stay out of this sin and temptation. We need you to yank us out of there. Please do so. The best protection that we have from sin and temptation is to turn to God and depend on him and depend on his direction in our lives. And when our prayer is focused on God and we see his preeminence at the very beginning of our prayer, then we can share our concerns with him. We can ask him to meet our daily needs, both physical and spiritual. We can seek forgiveness from him and and seek his power to forgive others. We can ask him to keep us from sin and keep us from evil in our own lives. As we close out today, I want us to think about this, that this is a, a model prayer from our model teacher, Jesus. That there's a time of, of public prayer and there's a time of personal prayer. But all of our prayers, private, public, no matter what, all of our prayers should start with God, our Heavenly Father. And when we pray, we are to honor Him and honor His name. And when we pray, we are to, to seek His kingdom in our lives and on this earth. And and when we pray, we are to ask for His will to be done and our will to be brought into line with His. And when we pray, we can ask for those daily needs to be met and we can ask to be forgiven and ask for the strength to forgive others. And when we pray, we can ask to be kept from sin and evil. This outline for prayer is a powerful tool given to us by Jesus to teach us how to approach the throne of the Father in prayer. As we, as we get ready to, to have our time of, of invitation, I want you to think about this a little bit. I want you to think about how are you approaching the throne of the Father in prayer? Are you looking at these six things to, to honor His name, to To, to honor his name, to, to seek his kingdom, to, to pray that his will be done? Are you seeking to, for your daily needs to be met, both physical and spiritual? Are you asking for forgiveness and the strength to forgive others? Are you praying that you're kept from sin and evil? Are you seeing this as, as a way to, to draw closer to God and draw more like him in your character as he's changing you daily? That's what our prayers should look like. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you. We want to honor and glorify your name. We want to 
We want to praise you for who you are. We want to see your will be done in this congregation, in this church. We want to see your kingdom grow because of what you are doing here and us being obedient to your will. Father, we we thank you that that you are a God who, who allows us to come to you and approach you and say, we have needs and we know that you can meet them. And we pray, Lord, that you would do just that. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us where we fail you and remind us that the forgiveness that you have given to us is huge compared to what others have done to us. Give us the strength and the courage to forgive others as well. And Father, we ask that you would keep us from sin. You would keep us from evil. That you would poke and prod, goad us in the right direction. Father, we're going to enter into our time of of call to action and invitation. We pray that as we sing these songs and and we we hear that that these words not be empty in our lives. But we take this prayer time seriously. Father, continue to speak to us as we ruminate on your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.